You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For those of you listeners who know my background a bit, you might remember the stories of my first few jobs after college. From being a mall cop to selling makeup door to door, I realized that I had skills that were being underutilized and that these minimum wage jobs couldn't support me or last forever. I spent years going through YouTube, reading books, listening to podcasts, and taking enough online courses to reinvent myself as a professional copywriter and digital marketer. Years later, thanks to my side hustles and drive, I've worked with national news outlets, multi-million dollar tech startups, nonprofits, and celebrities to build their brands and drive sales. None of this could have happened if I didn't develop in-demand skills. I had to do this alone, but you don't have to. You have Hustlers University 2.0. Hustlers University 2.0 is a community where you can learn real skills to earn money online today, starting with side hustles you can use to elevate your game. I'm not just an advocate for Hustlers University. I'm also a student. Every professor is verified to be making 10K to 500K monthly in their selected field. You get full resources, lesson plans, and an active community of thousands of other Hustlers University students working on skills such as stock analysis, cryptocurrencies, e-commerce, copywriting, which was my favorite course, one I actually went ahead and took last month. And as a copywriter of seven years, I even took a ton out of that, including some of the resources I was able to take over to my day job. You also learn freelancing, financial planning, affiliate marketing, business management, and so much more. If you're tired of depending on a boss who hates you to deliver your paycheck or have learned since the lockdowns that controlling the source of your income is vital to your individual freedom, sign up for Hustlers University 2.0 today using the link in the show notes. I'll see you there. small business. Thank you so much for joining the program today. Carol, we've been 
of course my Alexa would turn on now. Alexa, stop. You see, folks, a, a professional would actually edit this out, but I'm, I'm neither that nor good at what I do. So we're just going to keep rolling as if that didn't happen. Carol, much like my Alexa coming off at random times, we're in a really strange moment in the economy right now. So the last uh, dozen or so episodes, we've really been focusing on what to do in order to prepare people for the upcoming recession. Nothing crazy, no pyramid schemes, more like work on your own individual skills. Try and get a raise if you possibly can try and uh, pick up additional work, you know, touch up on your financial literacy, take a whole inventory of your financial being. Do you have savings? Are you maxing out your 401k? I mean, all, all the things that you would typically do, whether you're entering a really seriously challenging time in the market or otherwise. But every episode, I still get the same number of people calling in, tweeting, messaging me saying, this is it, Remzo. Everything is coming down. The dollar is collapsing. The, ho- the, dollar, uh, the housing market is collapsing. Everything is just going to absolute crap. I don't, I don't share that opinion. And I just really think that people need to hear it from somebody that has seen this over a period of time, that has worked with the experts, that knows a little bit about this themselves, As far as what the average middle-class American should expect, and let's just go over the next year, is everything going to just burn down or are we entering the apocalypse? Um, You know, uh, obviously I don't have a a crystal ball. And if I did, I would be on my yacht in the Mediterranean. Yeah, yeah, I'd be out on a yacht in the Mediterranean instead of having this delightful conversation with you, Remzo. Um, So this is just, you know, best case scenario of of a educated guest, you know, over 25 plus years and studying markets and seeing all different kinds of market cycles um, and having a, a general sense of what's going on. I was one of those people who did say, inflation is coming. It's not transitory. These are all the things that are going to happen. And of course, they all have happened. So I've been, I've been pretty spot on um, in my financial predictions here over, over a, a fairly short period of time. But obviously, there are factors that can, can change what happens. You know, Certainly, I think we are in the the probability is we are in the burn the house down scenario, not the zombie apocalypse scenario. That being said, (laughs) not bad to have some level of preparation for both, right? Fail to prepare, prepare to fail. But, you know, just in terms of how much of your time that you allocate to that, um, you know, I, I would focus more on the 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 burnt the burnt scenario, the the arson scenario. So, um, you know, that's kind of where I come out on it. It's really weird being a millennial because I, I was just a a kid during the Great Recession in two thousand eight, and to see everything as it's kind of folded out, especially when you know I'm, I'm listening to people like Dr. Tom Woods. Um, Dr. Ron Paul and others. I'm getting more of an Austrian economics perspective on the outlook of you know the, the state of our economy and our finances. Um, I, I've never I've never been of the mindset of the next crash is always going to be the final crash. And and I call the people who are saying that this is the end all be all situation. I call them catastrophists because essentially what they're betting on. And it's sad because the the people who are the most scared of what's going to happen or the people that will admit they're probably the least prepared for what's going to happen. But essentially to, to say that this is the end all be all is to basically bet against the United States. 
the most powerful government, the most powerful economy the world has ever seen. And while regardless of administration, we have made mistakes, we're going to have to deal with the outcome and the results of those mistakes. Ultimately, I don't think the U.S. is just going to disappear overnight. I don't think we're going to see the dollar collapse in our generation. And I think a lot of people who are using that as an excuse are really trying to cover up other things, such as they don't have their own financial house in order. Yeah, I mean, listen, I I, I think people have all different sort of um, reasons and intentions behind what they're saying. I do have to say that, um, you know, the Federal Reserve and our government has done a lot to impede the wealth creation opportunities uh, of Americans to debase the dollar, all those kinds of things. But you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we have a nation whose land is full of resources that has very powerful companies um, that do things that create value, you know, that is, is really what you're betting on. Now, the likelihood that the power consolidates with those entities and that fewer people have, you know, the same opportunities that they did in the past, I do think is real. I do think there is going to be a shift in the financial world order. But yeah, I mean, if you are, if you're saying that everything is going to just, you know, complete zombie apocalypse, um, a lot of what you would do is sort of meaningless anyway. <laughs> so you, you have to really ask yourself sort of a different set of questions of, you know, what that looks like in terms of survival mode. Again, not necessarily a bad thing to, to do, but I would only put so much energy towards that because, like you said, it's it's the not likely scenario. I mean, you can look at the destruction of major financial empires. And certainly I do think that we are on the decline from our peak, but even the Roman empire, I mean, took hundreds and hundreds of years to fully come undone. So you're right. Like in our lifetimes, um, you know, we, we may see a worsening situation. We may see more barriers, but that doesn't mean that you are out of the game. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be doing the things um, you know, to put yourself in the best position possible, understanding some of the realities of the backdrop without being sort of full on um, catastrophic. I think that if you believe in anything <laughs> about America and free enterprise, like you have to be optimistic and it's always paid to be optimistic, but it also pays to be prepared. So, you know, having some hedging strategies in place, um, you know, helps to, to weather some of the volatility. I can only imagine what it's going to be six months from now when we start entering a, another presidential cycle, because we're going to enter a brand new chapter of the America Messiah complex. And, and as much <laughs> as I as much as I am not a fan of President Biden, th there's also this um, th this this narrative a lot of people tell themselves. And it's if we just get somebody else in the White <laughs> House. Everything right. will fix itself. And it's like, I'm sorry, if you've been awake for more than like five minutes, you, you got to understand whether it's Donald Trump coming back or Ron DeSantis or insert some other Republican here that doesn't fix a, a, a century long problem. A systemic issue. Yeah. And that's what I tell everyone. I mean, certainly there's no doubt the Biden administration has made everything worse. But I hate to point out the inconvenient fact for some people that 15 days to slow the spread and the mandates that came from it 
came under President Donald Trump. An almost trillion-dollar deficit pre-COVID spending came under Donald Trump. Um, a pushing of the Fed to continue to intervene in the market came under President Donald Trump. And all of the Donnie dollars and, you know, uh, stimulus and, and whatnot that happened came under President Donald Trump. Now, again, we had for part of that uh, Democratic Congress and, and all different kinds of things going on, I understand. But the, the point being, there is a lot of sort of um, systemic issues that need to be undone. And, you know, while we had better energy policy and and perhaps, you know, some other things, um, it, it wasn't the the be all end all of what we really need to have happen. Um, the, the one thing that has always, <clears throat> I apologize. The, the one thing that has always really, uh, troubled me is the fact that since 2020, I think it's around one in four small businesses that closed their doors, never opened back up. And I I'm in the Milwaukee area and it, it seems like every day there are more small businesses that are going under our unemployment rate. They say it's around 5%. I would argue it's more around 7%. And th this idea that, you know, and, and it bothers me each time I see uh, Biden's press secretary come out and say, oh, this is the best economy ever. I mean, <laughs> it's it's we're not really going into recession. I look at this and, you know, what, what, what breaks my heart is a lot of people, a lot of really good intentioned people think that we were out of the muck of it that the impact of the lockdowns has started to wane, especially over the past year. People almost want to forget 2020 ever happened. Everything that happened after that actually was a real thing we had to deal with and that maybe we can get to some sense of normalcy. But the problem is like there, there is no going back from that. For entrepreneurs right now that want to go ahead and start a business, but they're just thinking maybe now is not the right time. Maybe I need a different set of uh, circumstances. Maybe we need a different you know mindset in Congress. Maybe we need a different mindset in the White House. For people that are trying to postpone it till we get to that better point, do you think that better point ever actually arrives or do you think the best opportunity to try and jump into that if somebody wants to start, you know, jumping into entrepreneurship or somebody wants to start a small business, do you think they might as well just try and, you know, take what they can? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that today you know, there are myriad reasons why it's more difficult to start a business and have it be successful than there has ever been um and you know certainly in in recent history and you know it always just depends it depends on who your customer base is it depends on what you're offering um, it depends on how well capitalized you are, but you know this is going to be a challenging time for existing entrepreneurs with the inflationary backdrop, with the very tight labor market, um, with the fact that you know with a recession and the Fed trying to quote unquote cool down the economy, i.e., put us into a recession, um, it means that you're going to have less you know, spending at businesses, and you're going to have some businesses closing their doors and whatnot. So out of that, you know, kind of disaster, you know, it's, it's the, I will call it non-creative destruction because creative destruction is, you know, kind of purely capitalistic. And a lot of this has been driven by policy, but out of the destruction, you will 
have opportunities rise. There'll be holes in the market. Um, you know, if you're servicing you know, higher end consumers who aren't going to be impacted the same way that middle class and lower end consumers are, you know, if you have something that is just an imperative need that people can't cut back on, there are always opportunities. And so your timing may be different than, hey, I've got this great discretionary consumer idea you know, that, that requires, um, you know, pretty slim margins to get by on. So it, it really is very dependent on the person and the business model. I always say that a successful business comes when you have the right person pursuing the right opportunity at the right time. And, you know, in challenging times, you know, that may be the, the formula for some, but for most people, it's probably going to make it um, even more challenging than it already would have been. And I forgot who once said it, but like, there's never, there's never going to be the perfect opportunity to jump into that. If that is what you feel called to do, there will always be some reason, especially if you go out and try and find reasons. And I mean, just looking at 2008, I mean, many businesses came out of a really dark time in the economy and same goes for 2020, the amount of uh, entrepreneurs that, you know, developed, you know, uh, different mechanisms to make money online, whether it was side hustles, whether it was setting up an e-commerce business or something else, there, there's always going to be an opportunity. It's just a matter of whether or not people want to actually pursue that. Uh, but Carol, there's there's a segment of my audience, which is between that 18 to 35 range. We, we have a lot of recent college grads. I love and it. The, the one thing that I, I hear from a lot of them is I already know I'm not going to be able to buy a home anytime soon. Uh, a good chunk of them probably still live at home because of increasing uh, rent, uh, rent and everything else, cost of living and everything else. Millennials have for a while felt financially strangled. They felt financially limited. And, you know, frankly, they're, they're turned off from wanting to get into the market, from looking at alternative ways of trying to make money outside of their regular nine to five. For, for a millennial right now that is looking at this possible, and I, I think we're currently in it. Some people think it's going to happen. And then you've got people like Paul Krugman, who's like, what recession are you talking about? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I, I, I think, you know, I, I go off that old saying, which is riches are made in recessions. What, what do you tell that millennial? So there's a great Warren Buffett quote, um, which is sort of guided the way that I tend to look at investments. And it, it's uh, I, I may invert this because I sometimes get slightly dyslexic, but uh, basically be, be fearful when other people are greedy and greedy when other people are fearful. And the best time to take advantage of situations is when there are these depressed points um, in the market where people are fearful. Now, I will say, I'm not sure that we're fully there yet. I, I'm just going to caveat that. I mean, the market has definitely taken a dive. Um, it's shaken out a lot of the, um, the enhanced multiples. We've seen compression on that side. But not enough companies have basically lowered their earnings to account for the fact that we are going to be facing a either recessionary or severely you know stagflationary environment. Um, so I think that you know from an earnings standpoint that the multiples people are comfortable with right now don't reflect 
a reduction in earnings and or a fully recessionary slash stagflationary backdrop. So, you know, you have to be comfortable with the fact that, yeah, stuff is probably still going to go down. It may go down, you know, another five, 10 plus percent. Um, That being said, the discipline of making investments, you know, particularly you mentioned this in the the beginning, Remzo, if you have a 401k match, um, where your your employer is matching alongside of you, um, and you know, and, and you're you're doing this on an overall basis. I mean, the, the statistics show that if you miss the best ten days in the market, that over decades, that has just a ridiculous impact on your portfolio. It's something like since 1930, if you miss the worst excuse me, the best 10 days each decade, then you would have a total return of like 28% since 1930. But if you stayed in that whole time and withstood the volatility, it would be like a 17,700% increase. Um, So it's like those kinds of staggering numbers that, you know, you have to, if you want those big up days that happen um, in bear markets, you know, kind of those bull market days, and you want to capture that as part of your return, you have to be thinking about that, um, that you're not going to be able to time the market. People who are professional investors can't time the market. So certainly it's going to be much harder for you and I to do that um, if you're not spending every second. And as I said, it's challenging for the people who spend every second doing that. So I do think um, thinking about even if we do have these consolidation trends, like who are those big companies that are going to be the category killers and maybe, you know, look into those and see if there are certain ones that have big moats around their businesses and really strong balance sheets that are going to, you know, come out and be the 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 titans who are standing um, you know, when the others fall by the wayside. And then obviously, you know, if you're not inclined to do that, just investing in the S&P 500 to get you, you know, fairly broad exposure to the top companies, you know, in the market is always a, a good strategy as well. But I think, especially if you're young, you have to own things. Like the number one thing I can tell you um, about generating wealth is, when you're young, live an austere life. You know, if you have to live with your parents, if you have to, I mean, I, my, for the first mm, five years that I had out of school, my bedside table was a cardboard box with a sheet over it because I wanted to take every dollar I have, pay down my college debt and invest. And that sets you up. If you, if you're able to have some austerity when you're younger and, and really start that uh, that investment practice it gives you the financial flexibility later on. Um, and while I won't disclose, um, you know, my net worth, uh, I, I'm doing real well. <laughs> <laughs> it, it works. Um, so you know, that's the time is as, as early as you can do that. And it has been proven. Like there's so many studies out there that show that delayed gratification is one of the biggest predictors of success. And I do meet so many young people who say, oh, you know, I I can't get by. But when you look at how they're spending their money, you know, there are a lot of things that they could cut back on. They just don't want to. And you just have to make a trade, a trade-off and a decision. Like, 
Do I want to have more flexibility and more options and not have to worry about this stuff in the future? Or do I want to live, you know, the good life now? And, you know, it's it's often like by trading off something a little bit good today, like you get you know, multiple times, exponential times the return on that in the future. So I would encourage you, and you can gamify it. Like you can make it a game, right? You can you can set goals and give yourself little, you know, stickers or emojis or do, you know, with friends, check in. Yeah, whatever whatever works to, to have that positive reinforcement. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a strategy that has worked well um, for those that I, I know who pursue it. You brought up a couple points that I want to cover. The first one, which is, you know, just investing in over time. Uh, one, I think I'm going to butcher this, but one of my favorite Warren Buffett quotes was like, if uh, you like Coca-Cola now, you'll like it when it's 50% off. And uh, I'm, I'm looking at that right now. I mean, I'm, I'm what Dave Ramsey would consider the devil because I love credit cards and I still buy single stocks. But, you know, I'm, I'm looking into the businesses that uh, you know, are still doing well over time. And over a 10 year period, they've always done incredibly well. Uh, you know, when I look back at how they did in March of 2020, when everyone was like, oh, everything's on fire. And then a few months later, it was like, wait, why is the stock market rallying so much? It's it's just absolutely crazy. So, I mean, I, I was lucky that I had the cash on hand over the last few months, especially when I saw a lot of my favorite companies, you know, they, they were in the red and they were going way, way down. I had some friends who were panic selling and I was like, huh, you know, I, I like them. They've been around for a while. They're proven through all these uh, tough times. And unless, you know, a nuclear apocalypse happens, I think they'll still be here 10, 20, 30 years from now. So I, I went ahead and jumped into that. But, um, you know, the, your latter point about, you know, getting in as soon as you possibly can. One, one of the greatest mistakes I made was after I graduated from college because I had joined the army. Um, I didn't owe anything. So I'm one of the few Americans that did not have to suffer from student debt. Um, you know, it, it took my wife several years to clear her debt and some consumer debt. And I mean, just watching how that was impacting her and then my other friends, it was like, I, I really escaped that. But I also was not financially literate at all. I mean, I, I look at myself five, six years ago, and I just, all I see are mistakes that could have very easily been avoided. And one of the things that really impacted me was a book called uh, The Richest Man in Babylon, where you have this this teacher and he's talking to his student and he tells his student, you know, save like 10% of your you know, of your earnings each time you get paid and see how much you have in a year. So they, you know, they meet up in a year and the teacher goes to a student and he's like, so what did you do with the money? And he said, oh, it was awesome. I had all this money uh, at the end of the year. So I went ahead and through a giant party for all my friends. And the teacher looks at me, he's like, you fool, you ate your children. And I, I think of that moment each time I, I, I want to splurge on something that you know, and I'm not one of those people where it's like, you know, live, live a monk life. But at the same time, it's like, understand exactly what you said, which was, what, what are you what, what are you gaining now by sacrificing the future? And uh, a, a lot of what I do is side hustle coaching for people. So that way they could develop different, you know, different streams of income outside of their nine to five. And uh, I had a I had a client about a month ago. He's in his late 40s. He has three kids. He had to go ahead and also take in his uh, elderly parents. And he's got one income and his wife had to go start working. And he told me, Remzo, I've never invested in my entire life. Is there even a point to investing now? And I told him the, the, the worst time to not invest is to not invest at all. 
whether you're putting a little bit now or a lot now, you got to just understand that you are your 60, 65 year old self is going to thank you just by doing this. And for a lot of, you know, people I know who are like just graduated from college and they're like, I'm making like around 40 K a year. Is it even worth it? It's like, if you're not at least taking care of your employer matched 401k, you're, you're making a mistake. If you're not trying to throw towards your Roth, you're making a mistake. Even to put in as little as five, 10%, you're going to build wealth over time. And, and, let, and let me, and let me tell you something else. If you're, first of all, if you're making 40 K a, a year, go renegotiate right, you know, right before this job market collapses, like go and see what else is out there because the job market is still so robust. And exactly. if you are a good worker, do that. And the other thing I'm going to encourage people to do, and I don't care what age you're at, but look for companies that have the opportunity for you to gain stock or options in the company. And it could be a publicly traded company. It could be a private company that might go public someday or have some other kind of profit sharing. But there are all kinds of companies that have stock option programs where you can participate in the wealth that you're helping to create by being at companies. And this is how you have people who aren't very smart or worth tons of money because they were, you know, early employees at whatever company. It doesn't need to be Facebook. There are a lot of boring businesses that have been bought out by private equity firms um, or who, you know, may be on a track to go public someday. And if you can start getting you know, through whatever mechanism they have, some options, some shares in those companies, that's another way. You don't have to build your own business. You can you can get ownership and other businesses that are creating wealth outside of just the the investing in the stock market. It's a huge opportunity and it's something that is so overlooked in this country. It's it's just staggering to me. I, I didn't even know that was a thing until a couple of years ago when it was offered to me. And originally I was thinking, no, I have no clue what it is. Maybe I'll just say no and you know just be happy. And um I'm I'm glad I said yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you said yes too. And I've seen, you know, very normal people doing very normal jobs um, over, you know, five, 10, 15 years getting into these companies and being able to really get major paydays. Like we're talking seven or eight figure paydays because they were willing to take some of these stock options and they spoke up and they got them. And it is just a completely underutilized path to wealth. Absolutely. Uh, Carol, with the last couple minutes we have left, we have left. Um, I actually want to go ahead and ask you a question that a listener sent me. He went, he went ahead and asked me if I lost everything today, if I had like $0 in my bank account, I was going to have to go start dancing on the corner near the gas station. <laughs> like shit was not good. What, what would you do the next day? How would you try and take care of yourself? How would you try and build wealth? How would you try and get back to where you were before that happened? So, of course, there's you know some basic things that need to be met. You need to have a roof over your head. You need to be able to eat, right? So you, you need to have that. So I'd find somebody in my life um, who is willing to put up with me that I could pay back in the future, who was willing to, to provide and, and help me meet those basic needs. Um, but I think the very first thing that I would do is, is fairly similar to what I said is that, you know, I would go out and find the highest paying job that I could get 
for my skill sets. And, you know, depending on my age and if I had people responsible, you know, that, that were responsible for me, that would determine how much, um, you know, I would ask for in terms of stock. But doing something, even if you hated it, I'd work for as many hours as I could to put away that nest egg. And then when I got myself into a position where I felt like I was self-sustainable, that's where I would, you know, I'd have my emergency fund in place. Then I'd start making investments. Then I'd start, you know, looking at, hey, is this what I really want to be doing? Is there something better? And funny enough, (laughs) this is exactly the story that I did when I graduated college. You know, I picked the highest paying job that I could. I worked an insane amount of hours. I paid down $40,000 in college debt in a year and a half. I lived a very austere life and I built up that, that, that flexibility that let me make the choices. So not only am I telling you this hypothetically, but it's actually the story of what I did. Even better. And people need to hear that. I mean, often when, when you look at, when, I, I, I hate Twitter. I don't know what your thoughts on Twitter are. I hate social media, <laughs> despite the fact I've made all my money we're, in social we're, media. We're in, a, we're in a, an abusive relationship. I love Twitter, but I hate it too. It's like Chris time. Brown. I'm still going to keep listening to his music. <laughs> but yeah. well, I, I can't. I can't quit it. I enjoy it. I love it, but I know it's bad for me. <laughs> what did um? What did Heath Ledger say in Brokeback Mountain? I just can't quit you. Exactly. That's how. That's how I am with social exactly. media. But but yeah, I mean when when I go on there and i i just see people saying like it can't be done fend for yourselves like you know you, you just you just can't build those stories of people actually pulling themselves out of it what, what i love about doing this show is that i meet those people every day and that you know they're they're everyday people who walk amongst us you, you pass by, you pass by them on the street you pass by them at the store i mean this this idea that i think the media in hollywood has painted which is you know the, the best times are behind us now we're walking into the blade runner dystopian future while you know things get tough like there, there are still good opportunities. It's just a matter of how you choose to look at it and engage with it. There are huge opportunities. I mean, just think about like something as simple. I mean, there, there are whole industries that don't have enough people for the future, like the airline industries. Like if you know somebody who's young, who likes to fly, like go to pilot school, you'll work part-time, <laughs> you'll make you know, six plus figures, you can do a side hustle with Remzo and you can invest. Like there are like incredible opportunities. You just have to broaden your horizons because sometimes we get put on this path. Like I know for me, you know, I grew up, I was the first person in my family to go to college. Uh, My parents didn't know any of these things. I didn't have exposure until I went to college and, and people are like, Oh, you know, here are these, these things. And I'm like, I don't, I don't even know what this means. Um, But if, if you don't have, have that like in your knowledge base, it's hard to kind of think of those things. So brainstorm, ask questions, you know, do research. Uh, there are just so many opportunities out there. And the other thing I will tell you as somebody who's like reinvented what I do like a million times, that's the other really cool thing is that it doesn't matter how old you are, what your skill set is, you can always 
reinvent what you do because there is just this disconnect in terms of supply and demand for good labor. If you are somebody who's willing to work hard, you can learn any skill and you can learn any industry, but you cannot teach people to give a damn and giving a damn and being willing to do good work is a giant competitive advantage. Hell yes. Carol, if people want to go ahead and uh, follow you online and also grab a copy of your recent book, how could they do so? Yes. So if you want to be in an abusive relationship with me and Twitter, um, I'm on Twitter <laughs> at Carol J.S. Roth. And, um, you know, actually relevant to the folks we're talking to is if you comb through um, my recent tweets, I actually started doing a two times a month um, monthly or bi-monthly newsletter with Goldline on economic factors and talking about different things and hedges and, and gold and all different kinds of stuff like that that may be relevant to people. So um, if you find uh, my tweets for that, you can sign up. It's free uh, for an email newsletter, which could help inform your investment decisions. And uh, yeah, if you want to buy my book, please consider buying it from a local bookstore or bookshop.org that fulfills from local bookstores. And if you want to be... you know, a capitalist, two books that are relevant, The War on Small Business, which is the most recent one, but The Entrepreneur Equation, the first one goes back to kind of assessing entrepreneurship and whether, you know, it's sort of the right fit for you and the right fit for you now. Folks, I'm going to go ahead and make it easy for you today. Every link that Carol just mentioned, I'm going to include (laughs) in the show notes as well. So that way you all have no excuses. Carol, thank you so much for joining the program today. Thanks for having me, Remzo. Folks, if you appreciate and enjoy conversations like this, please, it costs you nothing, but it means everything to me. A five-star rating on Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to the show across Al Gore's amazing internet. It costs you nothing, but it helps get conversations like this with Carol out into the world, hopefully changing somebody's life as we speak. As always, I'm Remzo W. Martinez. Follow me on Twitter at HeyRemzo, H-E-Y-R-A-M-S-O. Be safe, be good. Good night. Uh-huh.